podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, hello there. Welcome to WTA Weekly. Uh, Renee Stubbs, lovely to have you back on again. Thank you for coming. Good, good to be here. Yeah, um, and you're obviously you're coming from us uh, to us from uh, your home in sort of um, East Coast area. Um, how much have you managed to? Have you been enjoying the WTA finals? Yes, um, I've been. I'm uh, based in New York City, so for me it's been easy to uh, watch watch all the coverage, just because I'm pretty much on the same timeline as everybody over there, except now our difference. Um, so yeah, I get to, you know, sit back at night and watch a lot of the matches. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been a trying week for everyone. Um, most importantly, uh, really for the players, um, they, they're the ones that had to sort of put up with all of this nonsense. But, um, in the end, uh, uh, the two players that actually predicted to get to the final did, um, uh, did give a slight edge to eager, but, uh, certainly didn't expect it to be so one-sided. But, um, having said that, you know, Jess is, uh, Huge, huge, huge um, step for her this week, considering she didn't win a match last uh, time at the championships and or the finals. Um, and so for her to get to the final without losing a match is pretty impressive. Yeah, lots of lots of big stories. I think you've kind of covered in like a few sentences kind of the main the main talking points from the event. I think you and I are probably feeling uh, a little bit smug right now because, uh, yeah, I also predicted pre-tournament that Eager would win it. Um, but... Uh, and like you, I was really excited for that final. And like you, I wasn't expecting it to be so one-sided. But then um, I guess maybe the matchup played um, a little bit more of a role in that than we may have thought going in. Um, look, you just never know how people are going to react, right? I mean, that was essentially uh, Jess Pagula, even though she's won a couple of WTA 1000s. There's something more significant about being in a major final like this, and the WTA Tour is obviously a, 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 it's not as big as a as a Grand Slam final, but there's no doubt that it certainly has a, an important, um, you know, it's an important fixture on the calendar, and and players that have won it have actually gone on to do quite well. When you think about, um, you know, uh, someone like Caroline Wozniacki, for example, gave her a tremendous amount of confidence when she won her WTA finals playing the best tennis I'd seen her ever play. Um, I had to coach against her in that tournament and I'd never seen anyone, I'd never seen her play that well um, attacking wise. And then, you know, she took that confidence right through to winning her first Grand Slam at the Australian Open. So there's been, you know, Ash Barty has won before she won a Grand Slam. So there's, you know, it's an enormously important tournament. And when you beat every single great player which you have to do to win the championship uh, the finals i keep calling it championships but for me it was the wta championships for so long um but you know to win the to win the finals you have to beat every single essential a, a contender for a grand slam to uh win that tournament so i think uh you know having got to the finals i think that was another step for her in her growth over the last two three years um and jessica gall is really you know she'll be the first one to say that her rise to the top of women's tennis probably surprises her as much as anyone. But also at the same time, you know, those of us that have coached against her, played, you know, against her or seen her play know why she's so good. Um, and it was a matter of getting the confidence. And I think this is another massive step for her to get to the finals, the WTA finals. And I think it will help her hopefully get to a a major final as well. Um, and we know how difficult it's been for her to get past the quarterfinals. So I think this hopefully tournament will give her enough confidence going into the Australian Open to get 
past that awful hump that we know she's she still has um, getting through to a Grand Slam semi-final. Yeah, and you know, as you said, we we've sort of saw that in with previous champ, uh, champions like Caroline Wozniacki, biggest example, right? She followed that twenty seventeen finals title up with a Australian Open title um, after obviously being a contender for many years and not seem to have quite have enough um, in those couple of US Open finals that she'd played. So, um, yeah, absolutely. She's, um, yeah, she should, I think even for a finalist, like look what Sabalenka did this year, building off a uh, finals defeat uh, last year. So I think you're, uh, I think you've gone to something there. And like, uh, Pagula, I think I saw a stat saying that she's the first player to have played all four of the top seeds in one tournament and she beat three of them. Um, So there's a, uh, there's a lot for her to take um, a lot of positives for her to take from it, despite sort of what actually happened in the, in the deciding match. And uh, yeah, there's definitely been a few people optimistic about her prospect in Australia, which the courts should suit her there. Um, So um, I don't see why not. Um, uh, But yeah, is this one of the, best you've seen Jessica Pagula play and perform? Um, well, I mean, I guess back-to-back-to-back matches, yes, um, <laughs> against the best players in the world. Uh, it's very difficult to do what she did, which was, as you said, and you pointed it out, and she, you know, had one more uh, in her to take the number two player out. But I think overall, I mean, I don't know if it's the best I've seen her play because I've seen her play some incredible tennis through the last few years. Um, but I think back-to-back-to-back, there's no question this is the best tournament she, she's ever played. Um, beating the quality of players that she had had to beat to get to the final. So, you know, it, it's hard to quantify best ever. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think she would be very pleased with, um, you know, the outcomes of the matches that she had. And I know that she's bitterly disappointed uh, how, you know, in her eyes, poorly she played in the final. Um, just too many unforced errors. But also I think Iga's ball was just so much more aggressive in this match. Um, I think she was catching... Um, Jess with a bit more pace than she expected, I think, um, in a lot of way. And I thought that, that, you know, just the way that Iga plays, if she gets on that role and she's, um, you know, going after everything, it's kind of very she, – she reminds me so much of um, – the closest I can sort of counter someone is certainly Serena, obviously, when Serena was at her best and she was coming at you with balls and you were just like, I have no chance. But I think the person that she reminds me the most of as far as intensity and also personality is Steffi Graf. Um, I just think she just has that. She's very, very, very shy, um, very low-key, uh, very much like Steffi, but then get her on the court and she becomes an animal. You know what I mean? The footwork starts. You know, she's jumping around. She's, like, intimidating you at the net. She's, you know, jumping up and down like Rafa. She's going side to side before every start of every game. It's just like, oh, the intensity that comes at you from Eager is very similar, in my in my opinion, um, to Steffi's um, sort of, way of playing which is like i'm not going to stop moving my feet i'm not going to stop looking like i want to win every point um there's no getting lethargic uh, it's just you know she's so impressive like that and i think she was it was just too much for jess in the final but i also think just being in the biggest final for jess there's just unless you've done that you don't know what it, the experience is like and i certainly haven't done it in singles but i have done it in doubles and i know what it was like for my first experience of being in a major final or my first experience of even being in the champ finals, you know, the WTA finals, you get used to um, those bigger occasions. And, yes, Jess has won a couple of WTA 1000s, but it's such a significant difference to winning a championship like a WTA finals and also a major. The pretty thing about talking to you, Red A, is there's, there's so many interesting points that I want to pick up on 
um, in every single answer you give. Uh, but I'm going to jump on the, the sort of the last point there and actually you were talking about your experience. Obviously, you are a, a champion of the WTA finals, our WTA championships, as you rightly say it was called back then. Um, I think I, I think they only changed it recently, didn't they? It was like mid 2010s like, they changed the name. Yeah, it was like I don't know six years ago or something, seven years ago. Yeah, and I think I blame the ATP. Um, but uh, the um, uh, the WTA Championships, yeah, um, you won that. Um, I mean, how how much of a bigger deal was winning the WTA Championships for you at the time? Just to give us a bit of an insight of sort of how maybe. Uh, the players now see it and value it because it's a strange tournament to kind of quantify for some fans well i think i hope the fans that listen to um this podcast and this uh you know uh youtube thing is like it's massive like it's huge to win the wtf finals first of all it's really 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 big at the start of the year to get there so everybody has it on their mind the players that know that they can get there have it on their minds now somebody ranked 100 in the world is not going to be thinking about i'm going to make the wta finals like they just know it's probably not going to happen and they're thinking about more of how can i improve my ranking could i win a 250 um things like that and then maybe progress up up the ladder look jess pagula five years ago would have said probably wasn't thinking I'm going to make the WTA final so there is hope out there and that's the importance of you know strategically working up the rankings um, and getting your confidence but oh absolutely like I made 13 WTA finals um, in doubles and I only won it one time and I won 60 tournaments so <laughs> the um, you know and I was in many finals um, a lot I'd care to forget but um, but yeah I, I, I know how significantly important it is to win the WTA finals because it is the next best thing behind a Grand Slam final um, and, and winning a Grand Slam. There's no doubt about that. I mean, um, the money is enormous as well, so that's very important for players and their livelihood, et cetera. But it's a, it's a notch because if you can say, particularly in singles, if you can go and beat the best top eight players in the world to win a tournament, you're doing pretty well in your tennis career. So I think that that gives you a lot of uh, you know, credit amongst your peers and, and uh, the respect level of your peers to say you run the table to win a WTA finals, which Iga just did, um, is incredibly um, impressive. And and as I said, for Jess Pagula to run the table to get to the final was as impressive. She just fell short and didn't play the, you know, pro probably play one of her poorest matches um, that she's played in a while. And she hadn't won or lost a match in a while. You know, she won the tournament. Um, in Korea, she came to the WTA finals with a lot of confidence. So, you know, she was on a very, very nice win streak herself, um, as was Iga. And it was just a matter of who was going to handle the moment better. And obviously, Iga, having been in those bigger finals, she hadn't been in a WTA final. Um, but being in Grand Slam finals, the WTA finals feels obviously a lot less pressure to her. But also, at the same time, there was an enormous amount on the line for Iga yesterday with the number one ranking and winning her first WTA final. So, um, but I think in the end, Iga, having had the experience of what she's had winning Grand Slam finals, that um, you can't quantify. And when you've been to Grand Slam finals, the WTA finals doesn't feel as overwhelming. Mm. I mean, I did think, so I, I was commentating on the, the final uh, yesterday with Miles um, David um, and uh, I, I set that sense that Eager was a little tight, a little nervy to start with. And then once she got onto her rhythm, she was um, she was unstoppable. And as you say, like definitely Jess was making some unforced errors, but there was something about Eager's ball that was was drawing that. And um, 
what I found interesting about watching Iga this sort of last month or so since Beijing is um, how much more patient she seems. Um, like she's not trying to blast winners um, as often as she was before. She's willing to to rally and sort of wear an opponent down a little bit more. And um, it seemed to work against Pagula maybe because she knew that Pagula would be able to run everything down. She's got an amazing defence. But um, what were what were your thoughts on... Um, we've talked a little bit about, a lot about Jess. What were your thoughts on Iga Sviantek's uh, performance, not just in the final, but over the course of this week? Um, and would you say that it's a, it's a return to the 2022 form or is it actually an evolution to another level? Um, well, that's hard to quantify really because, you know, obviously the mm-hmm. last year was just a phenomenal year, um, one of the best we've ever seen, 37 match win streak, I think it was 37. We hadn't seen, seen that in 22 years since Venus did it. So that, that's hard to say, oh, well, was she better than that? Um, I don't mm-hmm. know. But at the same time, I think what she learned about herself this year is um, how to deal with the trials and tribulations because, you know, obviously the year before she was thrust into the spotlight of being number one in the world when she probably wasn't quite ready for it um, when Ash decided to, um, you know, hang the bags up. Um, and, I, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, God, I'm number one in the world. I don't feel like I've earned it, blah, 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 blah. And Iga is such a um, – she takes everything so personally and so – She's such an introspective person um, and I think a lot of that was like thrust upon her and, you know, thankfully she has, you know, people around her that are able to sort of bring her down and make it about the tennis and not about the results uh, as much. So I think, you know, after what she went through this year with, the, uh, you know, for in her in her world, I guess, this year wasn't as successful as last year um, in some respects because, you know, two grand slams, um, she didn't get, she got one, um, but she also learned, I think, how to handle the ups and downs, losing the number one ranking, um, losing pretty badly in at the US Open to Ostapenko. Again, I think the only thing she has to worry about in her future is where's Ostapenko in the draw? Um, but, but, you know, I think the bottom line is I think she probably learned a lot about herself about if you don't have the results and you don't have the success, you're going to be okay. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Physically, you're okay. Mentally, you're going to be okay. It's all things that you have to learn to deal with and learn to how to handle those moments. And I think what you saw in the WTA finals and also the strategic way she did her schedule. Um, and, you know, look, she didn't win in Tokyo, but that court is notoriously slick as, and it's so fast, that it was never a great tournament for her to go and play, really. I probably wouldn't have played that if I was her. But also at the same time, she goes, she plays, she loses, she goes to Beijing um, and, you know, has success there and wins the tournament and it gives her a tremendous amount of, you know, confidence going into the WTA finals. So I think what she's probably learned this year is how to schedule better, how to protect her emotional self from the ups and downs, how to deal with them. And then when the success doesn't come, that it's going to be okay, that you hopefully will learn from those moments and then, get better as a as a player and as an emotional player on the court. And I think what you saw at the champion, you know, in the finals is that she did have to deal with adversity. She was down that very early match against Vondrosova, um, 5-2, I believe, and then came back and didn't win, didn't even look like losing a set after that. So I think, I think what she's learned about herself this year will be um, only a major push for her going into next year. Yeah, and that's how... That's what all good, great players do is they 
they learn, they build, they adapt. Um, and Iga Fiontek has proved this year how adaptable she is. Um, and you're right, yeah, she, it's been a very much a learning experience of this is what it's like at the top of the game. And, well, it appears she's passed the test um, despite... Yeah, and, um, and just yeah, a little thing on the final, like... I just just a little thing on the final. I think also, you know, you were saying how she's got to learn to not smash every ball for a winner and do all of that sort of stuff. And I think the bottom line is against Jess, her game is quite um, good against Jess on a certain court, and the court was a little bit slower. And I think it was she was able to um, get the ball above Jess's shoulders. And Jet, look, Jess is not very tall; she's about five foot four, five, maybe five foot five, six. Um, and if you get the ball in Jess's strike zone, you'll pay the price, a heavy price, which is why she beats these players. The, crap out of the ball really flat is that the ball comes back so easily from Jess and she loves that ball but if you get the ball above her shoulders and she's not 100% confident then that ball will fly on her a little bit um, and she can't really just roll the ball in like some players it's, it's very similar to Sabalenka I mean Sabalenka I wish she would learn a game plan B and she doesn't I guess live by the sword die by the sword like going trying to hit every ball a million miles an hour. It's just like, okay, when you're on and it's great, that's fantastic. But when you're not, you have to learn to be able to. And I tell you, I give Serena so much credit for that because Serena Serena could have hit every ball 150 miles an hour if she wanted, maybe 105 miles an hour, every time she wanted to. I mean, honestly, she could just crush every ball. But she learned to move the ball around the court, not make an error, kind of physically tax her opponent um and you know the drills that she used to do she would do like a minute drill where she ran side to side to side to side to side to side you know on a time clock and you know that's learning to play a long point and learning to be physical on the tennis court is half the battle of beating your opponent in a long point and eager for example can do that um with shape on the ball and serena learned to put shape on the ball through her career, even though, you know, um, a lot of people just thought she was power. She wasn't. She 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 hated to make an error. Um, and Sabalenka has to learn to not make errors on, you know, when, she, when a game plan A isn't happening, she has to learn to put a little bit more spin on the ball, put a little bit more loft over the net, put, go, not go for the sideline, like when you ha don't have to, especially when you have that enormous power. And she moves better. You know, she's not a terrible mover. So, you know, I think about, Someone like a Lindsay Davenport, who was a great striker of the ball, probably the best pure striker of the ball I've seen play tennis. But Lindsay knew not to make errors on big points. And if the if the shot wasn't there to hit a winner, don't make an error. I mean, you ask Lindsay what her most important thing was. If the if you if you can't hit a winner, don't hit an error. You know what I mean? Like Lindsay will live by that. Um, and I think that Serena was like that. I think that Eager has learned to be like that as well. Um, especially when the ball's on her fast, not to try and go for an outright winner if it's not there and use her speed around the court. Coco's very similar to that. Um, and so I think with Sabalenka, she needs to learn that. With Jess, it's a little bit harder because her ball is so flat. She hits the ball so flat. Um, and so when she's on, she's on and almost unbeatable when someone's playing that ball into her hitting, her, her hitting zone and she moves so well. But when the ball gets out of her hitting zone and she's a little bit off as she was yesterday, then the mistakes will come. And so... I think with Iga, she knew that that's what was happening yesterday, that she didn't feel as threatened by Jess's ball like she did in other tournaments. And I think starting off a bit nervous and then realising making just one more shot, one more shot, and Jess wasn't hitting the winners this time, 
then she knew that her game plan, I'm sure, was just to move the ball around the court and know that Jess wasn't going to hurt her too much yesterday because of the ball that Eager was hitting was really affecting Jess's ball. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires goal for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Yeah, and uh, John was speaking to uh, Blair Henley yesterday ahead of the, the match, and she said that she heard that the court conditions were uh, slow, very sort of clayish. Um, yep. And so that would definitely also play into ego and, and play against Jess if she's hitting the ball flat because it's not going to sit through the court in the same way as they played on a faster hard court like they did in Montreal um, yep. or in um, in uh, Australia when they're in uh, for the United Cup. Um, yes, so exactly. it all kind of fit. I think the conditions definitely f- meant this was a tournament that Eager was going to be very comfortable winning and maybe this will be her best opportunity to win the WTA finals if it moves back indoors. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly I think people also forget is that Eager's serve is quite jumpy, you know, and her second serve in particular really jumps up high. Um, and so hence the reason why she's so good on clay as well. So on a, on a faster court where it's a bit deader and it's it's moving through the court, that ball is going from, you know, even a even shoulder level or about there as opposed to above the shoulder is so different as a player. And when you're not getting the ball come to you quickly and therefore it's coming off your racket really fast, you have to manipulate the ball above your shoulders. It's a lot more difficult. And obviously also that little bit of speed in the court gets eager backing off her forehand a little bit like at the US Open, for example, even though she won the tournament a couple of years ago. Um, I think in actual fact the ball hurt her this year. Even though it was a slower ball at the US Open, I think the jumpier ball was absolutely better for for Iga and she, she might it might be counterintuitive like well but it's fast so shouldn't it be fast but no but actually her jumpy balls like off her forehand for example and her kick serve it really does jump which is why someone like Sam Stoza won the US Open her ball really jumped with their kick serve and the big forehand spin and so it was always interesting to me that Ash Barty didn't like the ball at the US Open because I thought that fit and suited her style of play I think a little bit was a bit mental as well in the end for for, for um, Ash because I think the ball was jumpy and perfect for her way of playing, but she didn't like it. So, you know, the balls, the surface, like all of this stuff, the air quality, all of it makes such a difference to certain players um, and the way that they match up against other players. And people don't really know that about tennis, but it is enormously important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because obviously, if you if you watch tennis and you just watch it on a screen, you're going to assume its conditions are neutral and the same everywhere you go. And so you will get confused why things play out differently between different players each time. But that's the beauty of the sport, really, is how varied everything is. Yeah, it's it's the beauty of the sport and it also shows you why the greats are the greats because they learn to adapt in those conditions. I mean, someone like Novak Djokovic is like the perfect – well, any of the, you know, the great three. Um, but, you know, I put Novak really at the top of that because he just knows how to win on every surface with any ball against any opponent. And so, you know, the great ones know, learn how to do that. I mean, Serena sort of – I bet you if you ask Serena what ball they were using, she was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like some people just don't get to 
stressed about that sort of stuff and play their game and stick to it. Um, and uh, But some really do. It affects their game. And um, someone like Eager, it affects a little bit. And so, and I think with a lot of players, you see them, like, look at their strings and the ball's flying and they're giving that attitude. It's like at some point you have to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, well, we talked a little bit about uh, conditions and all that. And uh, you alluded to... Um, sort of how the difficult things were for the players sort of at the very beginning of um, our recording session um, in Cancun. I think, unfortunately, one of the stories of the tournament wasn't anything to do with the actual tennis. It was an outdoor, the fact it was an outdoor tournament in Mexico in November by the coast and they got lashed by wind and rain and that just made things even crazier. Now, again, that's one of the reasons why it played into Eager's hands because Eager's spin meant it could deal with some of the wind and um uh, that a little bit better but uh yeah what were your thoughts on that was it just uh was it an, unfor- uh, just an unfortunate set of circumstances that couldn't be avoided or was it just something that could have been handled better oh uh, don't get me started um yeah. if anyone yeah. follows yeah. Do me you, want to come up you want to wade in on this one <laughs> i mean look i mean it was just an absolute i don't even know what how to describe it other than you know something starts with s show um, you know, in my opinion, you shouldn't be having a WTA finals that is being announced a couple of months prior to the final. It just should never, ever, ever happen. We should know right now where the next WTA finals is going to be. We should know that already. Like, so that in and of itself drives me absolutely friggin' nuts. Um, it, it, I don't understand how that can happen. Um, give me all the excuses in the world. Fine. But the bottom line is, you know, I know what happened with Peng Shui and China and all that sort of stuff, but surely there has to be a better way to do this. And the fact that we decided Cancun was the best option with like a month and a half. I mean, the court was literally falling apart by the last couple of days. I was getting photos from players saying, now the court's coming up, they're sanding it down. It's slippery. It's even slipperier than that, what it was when it was what it was. Um, and so that was dangerous conditions. Then you had the rain. Anybody in their right mind would know that time of the year in Cancun is probably going to have wind and probably going to have rain. Um, and so I absolutely cannot get enough of tennis in Mexico, particularly at night. They come out. The people are amazing. Mexicans are literally my favorite people. Every time I've gone down there, they're more hosp- there's no more hospitable people. They love their tennis. So do I, would I like to see WTA finals in Mexico forever? Absolutely. Let's just find a place that's not going to have those conditions. Um, We've played outside only a couple of times in Doha was a couple of times that I played. Um, We had some pretty bad wind conditions there, but essentially you're not going to have rain because it's a desert. Um, And uh, Guadalajara was a couple of years ago, again, only because it was the last minute thing with the WTA finals pulling out of China. Um, And they had a, Pretty successful tournament there. Just, um, you know, unfortunately, people in in Mexico don't really go in the day. So that's a bit of an issue. But that's really the same for anywhere. Um, But you've got to be able to then put on a finals where you're playing at night, knowing that you're going to finish those matches to be able to play the next night. And that's where really the WTA finals is always played at night because people can come after work. You have to consider that wherever you play. Um, And indoors has always been the place because we were guaranteeing finishing and starting matches on time. Um, And so that is an ultra of importance. And I think they should have, they should already know where the finals is next year. And the fact that they don't is, it's embarrassing in my opinion. And I think, you know, the marketing of the WTA tour is horrendous. 
I know I know how much money that they actually put into marketing the WTA tour, and it's absolutely atrocious. It is less than what the P, the CEO of the of the WTA is getting paid. How has that even happened? Um, and so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like the mess ups of this year have been pretty. If you just follow my Twitter feed, I mean, I am a person that I, I tend to, I try and be positive, particularly when it comes to tennis and particularly when it comes to the WTA. I have a lot of friends that work there. I know the work that they try and do. I know the, the amount of work that they put in, considering some of them are not making a lot of money. But in the end, you have to take responsibility for the last couple of years. And they've been absolute F-ups. You know, when you talk about, you know, Fort Worth, where there was like, five people in the stands, you're not giving people enough time. This is a tournament where people want to go to. We have to make it a destination where people know that they're going to go to. They have six months to prepare. They've got to find people to take care of their dogs. They've got to find somebody to like book their flights. They've got to get hotels. Like there's a lot that goes into going and watching a tennis tournament. They've got to see if someone will take care of their kids for the week if they want to go. You know what I mean? There's a lot of logistical issues that fans, our fans, have and there's a lot of people that jumped on planes at the last minute and went to Cancun and God love them. And they are the fans that we're always going to have and love. And as I said, the Mexican fans are incredible and they came and supported. Look at the, fi the final, you know, on Sunday with the doubles and the, the semifinal and then the final even on Monday, which wasn't even scheduled. They had a great crowd. So I would love to see tournaments in Mexico more often, but this you know, laying down a court a month before and not getting a chance to hit on the centre court in a WTA finals is embarrassing. That is so bad. Um, it is our number one tournament. I remember playing, as I said, I played 13. So I know what it was like to go and turn up at the WTA finals where the red carpet was laid out and you had gifts every day and it was like a big deal to be there and you felt special and the hotel was amazing and the food was amazing. Um, I mean, first of all, problems. I get it. But that's how the WTA final should be. It should feel very special for those eight players that have busted their asses for the tour every single week, trying to make that WTA finals and bringing their best all the time. And you're forcing them to play a lot of mandatory tournaments. So they're turning, turning up to those tournaments and they're, when they don't want to, trust me when I tell you, a lot of those players don't want to play some of those mandatory tournaments because they're tired or they don't feel good or it's not a surface they want to play on or the list is long or they're slightly injured, but you're forcing them to play, or you won't let them play an exhibition because there's a 250 on at the same time. I and mean, there's so many rules and regulations to the WTA tour and having to play as a top player. And yet you treat them like that, going into a WTA finals is ridiculous. And I feel sorry for the players that went there for the very first time and had that be their first time WTA finals experience. And there was a few of them there that did that, particularly in doubles. Um, I'm not sure if there was anyone in singles that hadn't gone before. But, you know, that's just not the way to treat your best players. And so for me, I mean, I could go on and on about this. My distaste and I guess my last straw this year and where it started for me in the downward spiral of supporting the C-suite of the WTA tour is when the players in Madrid were not allowed to do their talk after their doubles final. It was Jessica Bagula, Coco uh, Goff, um, uh, Azarenka and Hadajmaya. When they did not allow them to speak because of what Sabalenka said in the singles final the day before in the speech or the day before, I can't remember when, but um, sort of gave the tournament a bit of crap. And then they literally said, we're not going to let the players speak. 
I was like, if I'm the WPA, I'm like, well, that's great, but we're not coming to the presentation then. I'm going to walk my players off the court. Like, you've got to have the strength as a tour, whether it's the tour directors, the, you know, the tour staff that are there, the CEO of the tournament, who I believe was there, um, or whomever is there from the C-suites of the WTA to say, excuse me? Oh, no, no, you're giving those players the mic. And if you don't, we're going to sanction this. We're going to do something. I don't know the rules of what they could do, but I'll tell you what, I would have spoken up the next, I would have spoken up that day. I would have said this is unacceptable behaviour. You're not, you, I mean, I would have just, I would just made sure that Madrid knew how upset we were as an organisation. Instead, I don't even think we got a statement from the WTA still to this day about that. So that's where I was already on them a little bit for, with some stuff prior in the year. But after that, and then subsequently all the things that happened after that, I'm like, I'm done. So I think, you know, I know Steve Simon is a lovely guy. I have nothing against Steve. Absolutely nothing. I think he's a lovely person. Um, and I know he works hard. I know that he's been trying his best in every capacity. I know that. But it's time. I'm sorry, every single, in my opinion, everyone from that top level, it should be gone. Like, I think that we need new leadership and I think we need leadership. I know CBC have come in, they've injected a lot of money into the WTA. I think selling 20% of the tour was... But you know what? I, you know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the Hologic sponsorship, for example, came in based on Coco Vanderway's boyfriend playing golf with a guy. Like... That no one from the WTA even brought that sponsorship in. So it's like, I want people to actually sit down and say, all right, who's responsible for all these things? Who's responsible for these things? Who's responsible for the positives and the negatives? And let's get to the bottom of it. Because what's happening right now is unacceptable. And these players are pissed. All right. So in bullet points, um, we uh, ideally we need a long-term WTA finals location announced very soon. Yes. Um New leadership at the top of the WTA and more of a marketing budget was kind of what I got from that. Hundred um, percent. I could I could give you twenty more, but those three are super important to me. Yeah. Yeah. So those <laughs> the three. Kind of, the marketing kind of standpoint. The marketing is so important, and we don't have any. The fact that even Dallas in Fort Worth last year, it was like nobody even knew the tournament was happening. It's like, how is that possible? Surely we have a top player, and if we don't have a top player, why don't we get? you know, Chrissy or Martina or, you know, some of the greats of our game being on the Today Show or being on Good Morning America. And because mm -hmm. I know Good Morning America, well, actually CBS, Good Morning America, or any of those morning shows with uh, those, you know, with Hoda Kotb and with, uh, um, you know, um, Savannah Guthrie, with Lara Spencer and Robin Roberts, um, you know, Gail King, they love tennis. Like get someone on there to do a five-minute promo of the WTA finals. Like how hard could that be? Do you know what I mean? Like there's little ways to actually get our name out there on a national basis in the United States to sell a tournament. Now in Mexico, different story, obviously, but I'm sure you could find, um, you know, some um, ex-Mexican players. There are a couple of great ones, um, you know, and get them on local TV and promoting the tournament. But it's very hard to do that when you only know six weeks in advance. <laughs> what? Yeah. But if you only have six weeks in advance, you better make sure that you're promoting the hell out of it while you can or even giving out tickets like to local schools at that point to fill the stands, like giving it mm -hmm. to tennis academies and busing in kids from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I mean, that was just a no-brainer last year. There were so many ways to get around it. And the WTA spent money building this site in Cancun when they had an, a site that was already built in Ostrava, for example, which 
you know, I know that Steve was worried that they weren't going to let a Belarusian play in the Czech, but apparently from my sources, the government said it's no problem. Okay. And yeah, I mean, for me, and that's a, that's a separate point, actually, I would have, I was a massive fan of the idea of them doing it in Ostrava, um, not, I, I thought it was Prague, uh, but I've, I, I uh, made a mistake there, but anyways, Ostrava, um, but um, also for the reason that um, Czech, it, Czech tennis is huge. Tennis is one of the biggest sports, if, if not the biggest sport in the Czech, in Czechia. So to me, that you kind of thing should have, have a bigger name tournament anyway. You have a Wimbledon champion. Yeah. Make the WTA finals. Like, mm. what are you doing? Like, if you had that opportunity, as soon as Wunderosova won the US Open, I would have been like, okay, let's make this work and make sure we've got a guarantee from the government, the letter. I mean, Steve says he didn't, mm. but that's not what I've heard from the Czech players. <laughs> so. Well, I I, anyway, yeah. We support the idea of them having a bigger Czech tournament anyway, because, yeah, you're right. They would have had, well, Mukova didn't play in the end, but maybe she would have been more tempted. Um, you, you had the Krajikova-Siniakova combo there. Maybe Kvitova wouldn't have ended her season. Um, yeah, that's a, but it's a ifs, buts and maybes. Um, I think it's very clear that there were some some organisational issues um, in Cancun. Yeah. Um, but um, I wanted to just end, I do have a couple of questions which hopefully should be answered fairly quickly um, to finish off. Um, and I wanted to end on more of a maybe a positive note. So regardless of how the organisation actually went, what were your favourite moments from the WTA finals this year? Oh, boy. Um, on the court. Well, I think, <laughs> I, I, honestly, um, first of all, the Mexican fans are just some of my favourite in the world. I mean, honestly, every time I've gone there, um, whether it be on vacation or um, to a tennis tournament, they're just amazing. They love tennis. They're so positive. Like, even if a player's playing bad, they're not making, like, gestures, they're not making these groaning noises, and they're very fair. Um, they're just – the Mexican tennis fans are absolutely some of my favourite in the world. There's no question about that. So I, And I give the, the tournament um, directors and, you know, that team so much credit for doing what they did in that small amount of time. Um, and so that in and of itself was pretty incredible. There's no better um, – trophy presentation than having a mariachi band behind you so that was <laughs> my favorite moment was that um but also just i don't know also seeing the humor of the players um, quite frankly like um you know uh, jessica bagula's instagram um story last night with her oh, drinking what, what looked like a, a tequila of a reposado I hope it was a reposado or, or a añejo, um, and saying that she got taken essentially to the bakery, uh, Iga Shontek's bakery. I died when I saw that. So the humour of the players, I mean, Sabalenka reposting a tweet about, you know, in, with music, with the, the umbrellas going everywhere and the rain and under the hat of Iga, Iga was under the towel. And so the players sort of taken the humour out of the moments that were very difficult for them last week, sort of made my week. Um, but the Pagula uh, Instagram story photo last, you know, yeah. last night just because it's just so just to like actually make fun of herself in those moments when, you know, look, clearly it wasn't a great moment for her, uh, not her best match, but she saw the humour in it, but also saw the importance of her year. So that that was great. Um, obviously, seeing Ellen Perez get to the final, the doubles in her biggest moment of her career, um, that was nice from an Aussie standpoint. And, you know, um, 
her year, Storm Sanders getting to the world number one in doubles, that's only happened, she's now the third Australian to do that. So that was a, a lovely story um, from our perspective, uh, from Aussie's perspective. Um, not the not the tournament that she wanted, but certainly um, getting to where she got was pretty great. But I just think the fun of uh, Mexico and the, the people and the fact that the players, bloody hell, they had to go through hell um, for this tournament. And the fact that Jess and Coco still play doubles is so great because, I mean, obviously my day, and I hate saying my day because every ex-player does that, but, you know, back in my day, a lot of great singles players played doubles and I remember playing against all of them and they were playing singles and doubles. So it was really nice to see Coco and Jess really still battle it out there, trying to win doubles and trying to do what they could on the doubles court. But, you know, again, that the way that the tournament was structured and the the, the weather just screwed everything up for the both of them as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I did feel sorry for those two during the tournament, given how much they, they had to play double the amount of matches compared to everyone else. Um, it's going to be a shame we're going to be seeing them less of them next year because um, I've seen the interview with Jess saying that they're not going to play as much doubles um, yeah. next year. That's that's going to be a bit of a loss. Um, but I want to round off this WTA Weekly with the, the end of the official WTA season. I appreciate we've still got the Billie Jean King Cup, which we're covering on Talking Tennis. Um, but I wanted to ask you, just to round off, um, who would you say the player of the season is? Is it Sabalenka? Is it Sviantec? Or is it someone else? Um, I, mm, it's, it's a good one. It, it, it was a fantastic year for Sabalenka in a lot of ways. Um, winning her first WTA finals, uh, sorry, her first Grand Slam at the Australian Open, one of the best matches I've ever seen. Um, I, 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 I don't know if we're going to see it again in Australia, but I, if we do, fantastic. Um, I usually hate big hitters playing against each other, but that was definitely one of the most entertaining, incredible matches that I've seen. And sat through but I would think in the end I'd probably have to give a slight edge to Iga just because winning the WTA finals on top of her winning the French Open again um, you know and her just the consistency winning Beijing as well I think finishing off the year that she did um, and getting the wins that she did over the players that she did um, and the way the manner that she did it um, I, and I, I think the Ostapenko loss of the US Open was just Ostapenko being Ostapenko and playing the best match of her life um, and just hitting winners all over the shop. So I, I think probably Iga probably gets a slight edge, but, um, gee, Sabalenka's consistency also was pretty bloody fantastic. So it's hard to choose between those two, um, but I think having won two major titles as far as the French Open and the WTA finals gives her a slight edge. There we go. I, th I th can't argue with that. I think I probably agree with that on balance. Renee Stubbs, yeah. thank you so much for coming on and giving your time to uh, come on once again. It's always great to talk tennis with you and uh, um, listen to your insights. I always learn something new every time uh, we chat. So thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. No worries. See you later. See you next time. See you down under. <laughs> See you down under, Renee. Okay, bye. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now, John? Yeah. 
yeah, I just had a couple of microphone issues. One was turning it on, and then the other one was taking myself off mute. So they were not exactly high-tech issues, but that's uh, that's talking tennis for you. Um, Nick, uh, how was that? I know you only oh, got was a really minutes, good. by the way. Yeah. I know, yeah. Um, yeah, I was really good. Um, enjoyed uh, talking to Renee there. Um, yeah, that was... Um, she, 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 felt... hits, she hits... She hits almost as hard as Iga does her ball. I know, I know. I really wanted to, I wish we had an hour with her, really dig yeah, into some of the points she raised. And I felt a little bit sorry that we kind of swerving away from some of the very valid points we were making. Um, but I was aware of her time and our time uh, um, as well. Um, that, you know, she, we probably neither of us wanted to necessarily end on um, a note of criticism, but she did raise some very valid concerns um, about the WTA. Um, she, um, and the way WTA is being run at the minute, especially with the knowledge that she's got, um, always interesting to hear her talk about, you know, the, the technical analysis of Iga's game and Pakula's game and, um, looking at people like Serena and Davenport, um, and, uh, a real kind of expert perspective. So yeah, um, always enjoy, uh, listening to, to Renee speak and, uh, yeah, definitely some, uh, some great points taking on there. Nick, do you want to see us out with your one of your famous catchphrases? Well, your famous one, really, for any okay. show. At least. I mean, I do <laughs> like. I love. I still think I like "Hello There" even more. Um, <laughs> That's he, obviously Renee's not on the show that often, so she was, you said "Hello There," and 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 she was already keen to get um yep. get out there today, which was great. But yeah, do you want to yeah. do you want to see us out, Nick? All right. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for to Renee Subs for coming on. Thanks, John, for. Um, putting everything together um, and uh, hope everything goes well at the Billie Jean King Cup. Thank you all for watching. Um, I'll see you soon. But in the meantime, take care and keep talking tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.